Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and I want to welcome the callers and chatters to Research at the National Archives and Beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy and history an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. If you have logged in as a guest and you wish to participate in the chat, please sign in through your Facebook account or blog, Talk Radio. Well, tonight's show will focus on New Orleans jazz, Doreen's jazz history and culture. And I am so happy to have jazz musician Doreen Kitchens on the show. Doreen's Jazz New Orleans is a group whose primary interest lies in spreading the culture and traditional music of New Orleans all over the world through performances and education. Doreen Ketchums, the leader of the group, has been called Queen Clarinet, the female Louis Armstrong and Lady Louis by critics who have heard her perform. She has Performed with Ellis Marsalis, John Faddis, Trombone Shorty, Al Hurt, Dorothy Donegan, the Black Crows, and Jennifer Warrens, just to name a few. She has opened for such names as Macy Gray and Dr. John. Doreen's Jazz New Orleans has represented New Orleans and the United States around the world, performing in Africa, Asia, Canada, Europe, South America, Kazakhstan, and the United States. She has performed for four United States presidents, including Bill Clinton, George Bush Sr., Ronald Reagan, and Jimmy Carter. The band also boasts 23 volumes of CDs and three DVDs. In addition to being superb performers, Doreen and Lawrence are outstanding educators. They regularly perform in schools around the world, educating students of all languages, spreading the culture and music of New Orleans. So let me give a warm welcome to Doreen Ketchens to research at the National Archives and Beyond. Welcome, Doreen. Thank you very much, Bernice. How are you? 
I am doing well and hope that you are doing the same. I guess genealogists are probably wondering why are we talking about jazz, culture, and history? What, what would you say about that if you had to say, why do you want to even talk about music when you talk about genealogy? Well, music is in everybody's blood for sure. I mean, nobody's grandfather, great-grandmother, or anybody um, went through this earth uh, without experiencing some kind of music. So it's in our blood, you know, I mean, and uh, whatever type uh, you listen to, it's in your blood. Music is, and this music for sure. It certainly is. So tell us, when did you personally become interested in music? Well, uh, I grew up in the Treme uh, in New Orleans. So before I even knew what music was, I was hearing it, seeing it, experiencing it, you know, because uh, we lived right down the street, half a block from a funeral home. And as you know, in New Orleans, you know, we have jazz funerals. So before I even know what it, knew what a jazz funeral was, I was, I was seeing them, you know, and uh, listening to them and dancing to them and everything else. So um, the music, you know, it was all around me, but I didn't uh, start actually being a part of the music uh, physically playing it until I was in the fifth grade in uh, school. And I woke up that morning, I didn't have any intentions on going and playing and, you know, joining a band or anything like that. But um, we were at my favorite uh, subject, uh, which was recess. And uh, <laughs> there was this buzz going on about a uh, pop history quiz, you know. And uh, history was our next subject after, after lunch. And so I was always pretty popular. I don't know why. People just liked me, right? So uh, they came to me and they said, Doreen, you know, they're talking about we're going to have a pop history quiz. And I'm like, man, we're in the fifth grade. Ain't no pop quiz. You ever had a pop history quiz before? Ain't no pop quiz. Don't worry about it. So everybody went on about their business. But, of course, when we got in the classroom, the teacher said, okay, we're going to have a pop quiz. And <laughs> everybody looked at me like, well, thanks a lot, Doreen. You know, but, you know, we all got over it. And uh, this is how it went. The teacher would ask you one question. Say, um, you answer it correctly, you pass. You answer it incorrectly, you fail. So I was like, okay, I'm destined for failure here. But, you know, we'll give it a shot. I'll just make a guess. Well, I always sat to the middle of the classroom because if the teacher saw you sitting in the front, you figured you knew everything. But if the teacher saw you sitting in the back, you figured you didn't know nothing. But when you sat in the middle, you kind of disappeared, you know. So I was safe in the middle. And he, always, he started with about 30 kids in the classroom, and he started from the right-hand side of the classroom. And he'd ask a question, and, you know, uh, we give the answer, it's either right or wrong. Well, I noticed as he was coming closer to me that the, there were only about six questions, six or eight questions. So I said, if I memorize the answers, by the time he got to me, I was going to do well, right? Well, I wasn't averaging very well. So I did what I normally do. You know, I, I used to do all the time. I look out the window, you know. And I say, God, if you get me out of this, I'll do anything. And I kid you not, about two minutes later, the principal came on the loudspeaker, and she said, anyone interested in joining the band, report to the band room immediately. It's the honest to God truth. And so, of course, I raised my hand. Everybody else raised their hand, too. And he didn't pick everybody, but he picked me. And I was so happy. I was like, thank you, God. And we were running down the uh, hallway. We were just so happy. So we got to the band room. 
and uh, there were these big old beautiful pictures lined up across the top of the uh, walls of instruments. And uh, I looked at them, and girls played certain instruments back then, and boys played certain instruments, you know, and uh, a girl instrument was the flute, and the flute was so beautiful. It was silver and sleek. I was like, that's the instrument for me. I'm going to play that one, you know, and it had the, 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 if I'm not mistaken, it had the name of the instrument right next to the picture of the instrument. So I said, I'm going to play the flute. That's, that's for me. But, of course, when we got to the band room, I didn't sit in the front. I sat in the middle <laughs> because that's what I, that was my, my theory on everything. So he asked all the girls, you know, in the front what they wanted to play, and all the girls played the flute. So by the time he got to me, I was like, well, I don't want to play the flute. Now everybody's playing the flute. And the clarinet was right next to it. So I said, I'll play that. I'll play the clarinet. So there it was. I'm, I'm a clarinet player now. But I was pretty good at it, you know. I mean, uh, I was average at everything else. Uh, not because I wasn't capable. It's just, you know, got to a certain point and that was good enough, you know. And uh, But on the clarinet, you know, I didn't have to work so hard and I was really good. So I just kept with it, you know. I mean, God has his way of making you do, you know, what you're going to do. So that's how I started right. playing now. So you started an elementary school, and then what? Uh, where did you go from there as far as your clarinet playing? Well, the music guided me because all I wanted to do from that point, since I was so good, <laughs> you know, was go to a school that had a good music department. So that's what guided me. I mean... In my district, uh, there was Bell Junior High, which uh, had uh, Donald Richardson, and it was an excellent music program, you know, and he was an excellent teacher. Uh, but when I got there, I wasn't the big fish anymore. I was a small fish. You know, I was really good in elementary school. But in, uh, junior, in junior high school, there were a lot of other guys, uh, kids that were good, too. So I sort of lost interest. And um, that's a whole other story. But I got my interest back. And uh, I went to John F. Kennedy, which was also uh, had a really good uh, music department. And after that, and I went to NOCA, which is a New Orleans Center for Creative Arts uh, here in uh, New Orleans. And uh, after that, I went to Loyola, well, Delgado and Loyola and Hart School of Music. So when did jazz come into your life to the point where you chose to become a jazz musician? Well, that's that's God too because I was I was in college and I was studying to be a teacher and I was a classical musician. I, I wasn't interested in jazz at all because and and even when I went to creative arts school, you know they offered us jazz. I mean, Ellis Marcellus was teaching there, you know, so I could have studied um, jazz while I was there, studying classical as well. A lot of other kids did it too. They were doublers. But when I heard clarinet players playing the traditional jazz, because that's what's real popular here uh, in New Orleans, when I heard clarinet players playing the traditional jazz, I didn't like the tones. I didn't like the technique. It was just sloppy and, you know, thin. And I had worked so hard on my tone and on my technique that I was not interested in playing, you know, jazz music if that's what you had to sound like. Um, but so, I mean, so I didn't study there. I didn't, I didn't study jazz there. I just was straight classical, even through college and everything. But when I got to Loyola, um, my husband of 33 years now, but back then he was my, he wasn't even my boyfriend, but 
you know, he's the most gorgeous guy I've ever seen in my life. And uh, for some strange reason, he liked me, you know. And uh, he also liked my best friend. <laughs> so, um, and, uh, you know, we we liked each other. So, but she noticed that I liked him. And, and so, you know, she said, hey, you know, I'll, I'll introduce you to him. And so she did. And what we would do is, since um, we were practicing all the time anyway, we would, you know, well, I didn't practice much, but he practiced all the time. So just to be near him, I would practice too in the next practice room or in the next cubicle. And he had uh, this New Orleans jazz band, and uh, he had this clarinet player that just wasn't acting right, you know. And he would tell him, he said, boy, if my old lady played jazz, boy, she wax you up for like, I get my old lady to play some jazz, you're in trouble, I'm telling you. But I wasn't interested in playing no jazz. But then when he said, you know, you ought to start playing some jazz, all of a sudden the choir was singing and the bells were ringing and, you know, it was like, you are right. You know, I really should put some jazz. I just wanted to be near him, that's all. So that, that's how I started. And um, I didn't know uh, really what... Um, how to approach it, you know, I mean, because I was well-versed in, in, in classical and, you know, I could read anything. I mean, I, I was a better reader then than I am now, but um, I was very comfortable uh, as a classical musician. Uh, but as a jazz musician, oh, my goodness gracious, it was like back to kindergarten, you know, and I wasn't used to not sounding good. So... uh I started practicing on that, and like I said, I didn't know the proper approach, you know, but um, we would go out and uh, listen to other musicians, you know, and other clarinet players and uh, other bands, and I'd try to understand what they were doing, but I couldn't, so I just used what I had best, which was reading, you know, the capability of reading. I'd just get a fake book. And I'd read the melodies. And I'd play the melodies, you know, and that's all I'd do. And he'd improvise, but I'd just play the melodies. And people would like the way I play the melodies. I mean, I was young, I was cute, you know. So and we were together and it was great. So I was okay with that. And um we so we'd uh you know once one day we were he went on tour, uh, for two weeks. And I was bored. I was very bored, and I didn't know what to do. But I still wanted to sound really good when he came back. And so I went out, and I was going to uh, this club called the Palm Court in New Orleans, and this guy named Pud Brown. At that point, he was about 82 years old, and he was on fire. I mean, even at 82 years old. he was, he. Now, when I saw him, he was a clarinet player. But Pud, he grew up as a circus baby. So... He played everything, you know. It, it, you put an instrument in his hand, he, he figured it out, and he played it. It didn't matter what it was. It was strings, it was uh, piano, it was a horn, a brass, uh, you know, woodwind. It didn't matter with Pud. And he was a very down-to-earth guy, you know. Um, and so I at, and, and I walked in there one day, uh, and I, I sat in the front, and he asked me, he said, you look kind of familiar. And I said, yeah, I'm a clarinet player, and I, you know, I'm trying to look at your fingers and see what you're doing. He said, oh, really? You're a clarinet player? He said, well, come up here then. I'm like, no. <laughs> you know, and he said, um, 
why? I said, no, I'm not coming up there. I'm not ready. I, I'm, I'm trying to learn how to do what you do. I don't know how to do what you do. He said, oh, man, well, one of these days you're not going to be afraid. And what, so I'd go and listen to him, and uh, he would give me some pointers, you know. And uh, he actually got me to get on stage and play some melodies with him. And he'd solo, you know. And I got kind of comfortable with that. And all of this during that two-week t- uh, span of time when Lawrence was away. Well, um, after a while, Pud was so slick that when I'd come up to play with him, he'd leave the stage, leave me up there, you know. But I could only play melodies, you know. So I, I, I just did what I had to do, and I was learning like a, you know, you have to go through your, 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 your rough period trying to learn. And uh, I asked him, I said, Pud, how is it that you know all of these songs and you can play any, you know, play any song and anybody calls? And he told me, he said, well, the songs, you know, they're inside of all of us, you know. He said, you can, you, and a lot of the changes to the song, a lot of songs are very similar to one another. You could just use your ear and you can get through it. I said, but how do you solo so much? You know, he said, well, I'll tell you how you start solo. And this is what he said. He said, you find somebody you like and you put it on a cassette tape and you steal it. He said, you go note for note and you steal it. You know, he said, and then you play it like it belongs to you, like you were the one that invented it. He said, and just play it over and over again, and before long, you'll find yourself. That's exactly what he said. And usually, you know, somebody says a statement like that, and it comes, it goes in one ear and out the other. But for some reason, that actually stuck. And so I went home, and uh, I found, uh, the, uh, you know, I didn't like listening to a lot of people, Pod had a really nice sound. And though he had that jazz technique, he had a lot of soul with it. So, you know, it was it was okay for me. Uh, but I found that the clarinet players, a lot of the clarinet players, not all of them, but a lot of the clarinet players that played with Louis Armstrong, they had some really nice sound, you know, really nice tones. And they had some pretty good technique. And there was this one guy named Buster Bailey. Now, he had the same background that I had. He was classically trained, and then he started playing jazz. So when I hear when I heard Buster playing, it was like, "Dude, that's what I want to sound like." Now that is awesome. So Buster was playing the tune in a called "Sweet Georgia Brown." Still know about I don't know a few measures of that of that, of that solo to this day, and it's been what about thirty years, maybe twenty something years. But I recorded Buster playing Sweet Georgia Brown, and I learned that solo note for note. And so I was on then because when I went to sit in with somebody, they say, what do you want to play? I say, Sweet Georgia Brown. So we get up there, and they started, and we play the melody and everything. And then um, come time for my solo here I go. I'm playing Buster, but they don't know it. They're just looking at this little young girl playing all of this stuff, right? Here I'm tearing it up. And uh, they're like, man, that girl can play. And well, you then, know what? You're talking about Sweet George Brown. I think I want to hear you play it. Oh, you want to hear me play? I don't, re- I don't remember the solo that well, actually. <laughs> but uh, I can try. Now, I put my phone on speaker because. I almost hung up <laughs> trying to keep it to my ear 
But uh, okay. let me see. I, I might be able to do it. Hold on just a second. All right. Can you hear me? Yes. comments love it play it now i'm going to be humming sweet georgia brown for the rest of the evening <laughs> how cool is that right well now help us understand jazz where did it come from why new orleans just break it down for us because we're talking about culture we're talking about history and we're talking about tradition well the music actually goes back to uh, slavery times. And uh, not to say there wasn't music anywhere else where there were slaves, but in New Orleans, uh, you know, they had these, uh, well, all, you know, they had these things called camp meetings, what we call them camp meetings. I don't know what they called them then. They may have called them camp meetings too. But it was basically um, where the slaves would have a time to the time where they could gather together and basically worship because many of the plantation owners were Christians, you see. And um, they would gather together sometimes out in the open, sometimes in a shack or something like that, but they'd gather around a fire and they'd sing songs and they'd tell stories of hardship and, you know, some, you know, personal stories or whatever, but they would also sing. And um, when they sang, um, they would clap their hands and whatever. And a lot of those songs, um, not uh, a lot of them have survived until, like, even today. But, you know, even though they were talk, talking and singing about hardships, a lot of times they were singing about, you know, um, going to heaven and stuff like that. Uh, so... You have like, let's see, Wade in the Water or Swing Low Sweet Chariot, for example, um, where the music itself would just move you, you know. And even though, uh, even though they had the hand clapping, in, in Louisiana, slaves were allowed to um, have crude instruments like cowbells and 
tambourines and, you know, drums and stuff like that. So they would use these tools. And so with that, the, the, the music, it had rhythm, you know, and melody and harmony. So not just hand clapping, but, you know, the rhythm, but actually beating on drums and, you know, and when you have that combination of melody and rhythm and, you know, spirit, emotion, you start to move. So people started moving too. And, you know, it was just like church. I mean, I, I would figure it was just like church because music itself was just, you know, I, I tell you what, I'll just play a little bit of like Swing Low Sweet Chariot just so you can get an idea of the spirit that was, you know, going around uh, doing one of these meetings. And just, 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 just a little bit, okay? okay. Is it okay? Okay, yeah. hold on. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Uh, you know what? I wonder how many of us, when we're even thinking of what our ancestors were doing back in the day, do we even bring in the culture, the music, and how that played a role in their lives? Just as you spoke of the, the slaves and how that was an opportunity for them to come together and they would they would express themselves with the music with the drums and have a melody and it's just so so special for us to even 
to have you share with us your music because it's something that I think is so important for us to, to think about. And um, what can I say? <laughs> well, I mean, it, 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 it's, it, it's just um, a matter of bringing it together, you know. I mean, I'm sure, you know, everybody's at least seen or read or something, you know, about slavery. And there's always music. I mean, uh, even, and, and, and it goes you know, through hard work. I mean, a lot of hard work is done through the the beat to the beat of music or something like that. Like, um, I wasn't there. I've never experienced with my own two eyes and my own two ears uh, fellas working like on a railroad. But even that, you know, I'm sure if you looked at the old movies, you can see these guys, you know, they're, they're building those railroads to music, you know. I mean, you know, they're right. moving this and shaking that and, you know, all to music, you know. And it's a whole bunch of guys doing a whole bunch of different things and a whole bunch of other guys doing a whole bunch of the same thing, but they're all doing it in rhythm. So you see mm -hmm. the and, – and, and your heart beats, to, you know, to rhythm. I mean, the music is in us, you know, we all, you know, we may listen to different types of music, um, you know, and, but it's in us, you know, and it's been in us. It was in our grandfathers and, you know, it's in our genes and that's how it is. That's all, that's all it is. Well, we're going to take a quick break with one of your songs. And so okay. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I'm going to put it on so that everyone could hear one of your songs, your recorded songs.
Well, welcome back to Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and you can join me every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, where I will have an expert to share resources, stories, and answer your burning genealogy and history questions. Remember, all of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of genealogy and history. All of my shows are available as a podcast immediately after the broadcast, and they can be downloaded from Blog Talk Radio and iTunes. You have been listening to Doreen Ketchen share with us the history of jazz and also share with us some of her music. And uh, Doreen, I just want you to know there is a, a comment in the chat room as you were speaking of the railroad and the uh, rhythm, uh, the comment that came out simply said, she is talking about the Gandhi dancers who worked on the railroad. They were not dancing, but pulling those rails to rhythm. And that's clearly what you have just described to us. They were using the spirit, the rhythm to make something happen and to work in unison. Well, tell us more about you and your career and how you have exposed others to jazz. Well, I mean, um, I work basically with my family. I mean, like I said, you know, um, I started out with my boyfriend, who's now my husband, um, and our band grew from there. Uh, we... You know, he plays the sousaphone. His name's Lawrence. And uh, he plays the sousaphone. He plays the trombone. He plays the uh, drums. <laughs> he plays the piano. He plays all kinds of things. And all of that is out of necessity because, you know, we could only depend on each other to show up for every gig and, you know, rehearsals and stuff like that. So he just started playing everything else to fill in everything. So when we go in the studio... We still have a full band, even though we didn't have with two. Um, we only had two people, um, and now you know he's playing the sousaphone and the drums together at the same time simultaneously. Uh, so sometimes um, when you see us, it's just the two of us. But when you're walking up, you think it's a whole band. But anyway, um, to to present date, we actually actually we work today. And we work tomorrow. I have the the blessings of working with my family. Uh, our daughter, she's twelve now. Her name's Dorian. She plays the drums, and um, so you know we're this trio. And um, it's just, it's, I was just telling her today. You know, I said, you know, girl, even though you're aggravating us on get out, I thank <laughs> God in heaven that I have the privilege of playing music with you. Because she's very good. She, you know, she's so good you think she loves it. <laughs> and maybe some part of her does love it. But since I love her doing it, you know, she's 12. I mean, come on. <laughs> Opposites, right? You know? But anyway, um, so as far as our career goes, you know, we, um, we, we've done so many wonderful things. You know, I mean, I, I listen to people talk about the things we've done. And I'm like, wow, huh? Really? Go girl, <laughs> you know, and um, it's 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 uh great because when those things you know they don't happen all the time. I mean, 
sometimes we go to these different countries, you know, and people follow us around. They want to do our feet. They want to know what we want for breakfast. And, you know, uh, Miss Doreen, can I get you anything, you know? And it's wonderful to treat us like kings and queens, you know? And we go out and we, uh, we, we go out on the stage and they're like, so many people and they're standing up and they're like, ah, and they're calling your name, Doreen, Doreen, you know, it's wonderful. And then you get on the plane and you come back home and, you know, you don't have no gigs, so you go out on the street because <laughs> we play out on the street, you know. And, uh, you know, last last went, last Tuesday, you know, I was in Japan and, oh, man, it was great, it was wonderful. But this Tuesday I'm playing on Royal Street and, uh, but I'm still got, I'm still high from Japan, right? So I'm playing. I'm like having a good time, but it's kind of early in the morning. And so somebody comes out and they say, "Excuse me, Doreen, could you keep it down?" <laughs> so it's a humbling experience, you know what I'm saying? I mean, uh, yeah. you know, because they're still yeah. calling my name, Doreen. <laughs> Doreen, uh, I don't know if any of our listeners have ever seen you. However, I had the opportunity to see you in a very unique setting, and that was in the French quarters playing in the street. So tell us about it. In fact, Doreen, uh, we have a caller online to ask you a question. So I'm going to bring that that caller on. Uh, Caller, you're live, 504. Caller, you're live. I don't know if the caller can't hear us or not. Okay, well, Doreen, tell us about uh, your work environment, of which I saw you in the French quarters. (laughs) Yeah, well, when we don't have uh, these wonderful tours and uh, things like that, God has blessed us with the street. That's how we're able to stay musicians and be independent. You see, so um, we play in, on Royal at St. Peter, right in front of the Rouse's grocery store, uh, yes. right around the corner from Preservation Hall and stuff. And we basically do that on the weekends, but our weekends start on Thursday, and they end on Sunday. Uh, and we start at around 11 o'clock because, you know, you don't want to start too early. <laughs> And um, depending on the weather and, you know, how the crowd is, you know, we'll either play for an hour and a half or we'll play for 11 hours. You know, it just depends on how we're feeling and how, you know, we're feeling towards the people that are listening to us and how the weather is. Because lately it's been so hot that we've only been out there a few uh, a few hours each day. But, um, you know, out there, instead of going out to tour, you know, and then play for, you know, people from somewhere else, people from somewhere else come to us, you know, and it's wonderful because I was reading somewhere that in 2012, 9.2 million uh, people visited New Orleans, you know, and I'm sure most of those people visited the French Quarter, you know what I'm saying? And I'm sure a lot of those people actually saw us, and it's really cool, you know, and to play on the street, let me tell you, you got to go through some mental things. You know, you got to uh, get rid of a lot of those uh, mental issues. Because I remember, you know, when uh, we actually, I had gone to college. I had left Loyola because, um, you know, I got a really nice scholarship to Loyola, but I got a scholarship as a freshman. And, you know, when you become an upperclassman, you know, they're not concerned about you anymore because they figure you're stuck. 
you see. But the tuition continuously goes up, whereas your scholarship stays the same. So I actually went and asked for more money. And they basically, you know, said, well, we love you, but, you know, we got to concentrate on these freshmen that's coming in. So no, <laughs> which hurt my feelings. So what I did was I started applying to a whole bunch of other places and uh, the University of Hartford, uh, Hart School of Music, they uh, had a really nice scholarship, but they were ready to, ready to offer me, you know, an upperclassman. And so I was like, now that's a lot of money. And I had some uh, family in Connecticut anyway, not in Hartford, but in Connecticut. So I said, okay, I'll go to Hartford. I mean, you know, when you're young, <laughs> all you got to do is make the decision. That's it, you know. So I went to um, the Hart School, and uh, I was very lonely there because, you know, like I said, I had family there, but not in, uh, not in that particular city. And I used to drive like 45 minutes or an hour and a half. I don't even remember what it is now. Uh, to go and see them on the weekends. But anyway, I say all that to say this. I went to Connecticut and I played, and then my husband's father died and my father died, and we decided we'd come back to New Orleans because our mothers were here by themselves, you know, and these were 30 and 40-year relationships, you know. So we came back to New Orleans, and uh, I was making pretty good money cooking in Connecticut. I was a chef. You know, when you're in Connecticut, and uh, you're applying for a job as a as a cook, and you say you're from New Orleans. Oh boy, it's a big deal. Oh yeah, come on, you know we put you a whole bunch of money. But when you come back to New Orleans and you say, "Hey, I'm a cook, and I'm from New Orleans," it's a big deal. Take this or leave it. <laughs> so you know, Doreen, huh? we have, huh? we have a caller. Can you hear me? Uh huh. Okay, we have a caller. Area code two one four. Do you have a question or a comment? Hello, is this for me? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Doreen, I want to ask you, uh, it's obvious that you're not playing this, the music, preserving the music that you're playing because it's popular. What is your motivation for preserving this particular jazz form? Well, that's exactly it. You know, it's preserving it because I learned the music, um, you know, basically from recordings. I mean, you know, I could go around and uh, and there aren't that many clubs in New Orleans now that offer the traditional music and definitely not a lot of New Orleanians playing it, you know. So, you know, when when you get to feeling like, uh, maybe I don't want to do this anymore or something like that, you look around and you notice there aren't that many people doing it. And, you know, we've been doing it for so long till we're one of the people that the young kids look look to, you know, and say, hey, you know, I want to play like that or something like that. So it's actually preserving the culture. I mean, I'm having fun doing it. Don't get me wrong. But, um, you know, it, 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 it's preservation for sure. You know, uh, that's one of the top reasons. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Okay. And we have another caller, uh, 214. Are you, do you have a comment or a question? Yes. Hello? Yes, you're live. Yeah. Hey, how you doing? I just wanted to say hello to Doreen and tell Lawrence hello for me. I grew up around the corner from Lawrence, played in a high school band with him. My brother has done recordings with Doreen. I hadn't had the opportunity to play with y'all yet, but, you know, because I'm in Texas now. Um, so, you know, I'm with the band Cool Bone, 
And oh, my a Johnson! A <laughs> yeah, Johnson! Oh, my God! <laughs> How you yeah. doing? <laughs> I am good. I'm Darryl. I'm Bernice's cousin, too. So, you know, I'm listening to this show, and I'm like, yay, Doreen, I got to call in. So I just want to yes. call and tell y'all hello. Hello, Bernice. Hello, Doreen. Hello, Darryl. Hi. <laughs> Yes, Thank indeed. you for calling in. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to tell you. We have a comment out of the chat. This is from Stephanie, and she said that she will be going to Royal Street when the weather is not so hot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I ain't mad at you, Stephanie. I ain't mad at you at all, let me tell you. And, you know, we were talking about with that other caller about um, preservation. Well, you know, uh, Dow, the the Johnsons. Let me tell you, that's a family of musicians, you know, and there are a few of those too in New Orleans, you know, um, that are keeping the music going. I mean, and you know, it it, it it's so important, and I, I really think if it weren't for people like the Johnsons and the Paulins and you know, uh, people like that, you wouldn't even hear the New Orleans jazz. Uh, played by New Orleans jazz musicians. I mean, the streets in New Orleans are pretty pro uh, profitable, you know. So you got people coming from all over the um, the world to play the streets in New Orleans, and you, it's it's totally different now when you walk through the streets in New Orleans, listen to the music, uh, than it was even ten years ago. You know, you hear a lot of people from the Midwest playing. Um, uh, what do you call it? Um, like rockabilly or, or, or something like that, you know, uh, and you have your other people playing, say, the, the World War II type music, you know, um, you know, just from a different aspect, you know, Tommy Dorsey and stuff like that, whereas we come straight from, like, the root, you know, uh, the spirituals and, uh, you know, because the music itself, you know, is, is, is a combination of, of, of different types of music. It's not just you know, the, the, the camp meetings, you know, with the spirituals. You you also have the, the Hispanic influences, the Caribbean influences, and the European influences, too, as well as the military bands, you see. Um, so all of that comes together, and, you know, New Orleans has been a port city, and it still is a port city, so you got people that come here from all over the world, and they bring something with them, you know, when they come here. But they also take something away when they go, you know, so the music is full of full of the world, you know. It's a very cultural and diverse um, city, and the music expresses that, you know. But it gets kind of tangled up um, without that that foundation. So, you know, to me, I, I I think you know we are part of that foundation, that link to that root, and so you know that's a reason why we gotta keep going. You know, even though it's hot. Even though sometimes we get bothered by the police, even though sometimes, you know, people complain and stuff like that, you you persevere because you are the the future, you know. Right. Well, there's a question coming out of the chat room. Do young black people embrace the old music anymore? Well, I would say yeah. Um, not in not in multitudes, but um in their own way, yeah, um, a whole bunch. You don't have a whole bunch of little um, or, or young black kids that are playing 
uh, the old traditional music in a sense like we are. But you do have a lot of young black uh, kids uh, playing the music. Now, they'll, they'll, um, they'll young it up, <laughs> so, to, so to speak, um, and uh, play it the way they play it. But, yeah, they still play the same kind of tunes. And, um, you know, they're still learning from uh, recordings and other um, brass bands, you know, that are out there playing. And they're forming their own brass bands. And they're playing this music. And they're traveling the world, too, playing this music. These are kids in their teens and 20s. And, you know, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I really do believe that um, it is being embraced. I mean, it helps that they're able to learn a few songs and then go out on the street and perform them, you know, and, and make some money. But um, it's still, you know, take it like you can get it. You know what I'm saying? There's still young people out there playing the music. I mean, if you visit New Orleans and you go down to Jackson Square and you sit out there for a few hours, you'll see several bands come through, you know, uh, with youngsters. Some of, them, some of the bands have like six and seven, eight members in them you know, playing the music out there. Some of them are really good. Some of them ain't that good. Some of them didn't, weren't that good in the beginning, and now they're pretty good, you know. I mean, a lot of the bands you hear now, you know, started out there on the streets. So, yeah, I'd say, yeah, there are a lot of young blacks, young everything, young whites, young, especially Asians, you know, uh, learning the music and playing it. Now, when you get the people from Japan coming, you know, um, they're learning the music, you know, and, and from the root, you know, they're 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 playing the traditional music, uh, like they were playing it back back in the day, you know. But mm -hmm. the, the youngsters in New Orleans, so to speak, they're they're younging it up, you know. They're playing it in different ways. They playing it in playing. different ways. Well, we have a comment coming out of the another comment out of the chat. This one is by Angela, and she says she went to a funeral. Uh, two weeks ago in Baltimore, and as they exited the church, the family had a New Orleans-style jazz combo playing when the saints go marching in, and she said it made the funeral such a beautiful, homegoing celebration of the person's life. And are you seeing in New Orleans more or less celebrations with the jazz band following the, the uh, funeral party? Um, you know, well, you don't know, but back, back in the 18, you know, 1800s and stuff, brass bands were cheap, you know? I mean, a lot of people could afford them. Uh, these days, brass bands are pretty expensive. But you still have a, a lot of jazz funerals. I mean, uh, 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 but I see today more uh, jazz bands in front of weddings than funerals. I mean, when you're when you're planning a wedding, you're ready to spend some money anyway. So they they drop money on a band, and um, you know you're out there, and all of a sudden you hear music coming up the street, and you see a band, but behind the band is a bride and a groom and a bunch of people dressed up, you know, in really nice uh, clothes and waving handkerchiefs because, you know, it's all a part of the, the celebration. I mean, the second line 
you know, there's a first line and there's a second line. And uh, the first line is, you know, for you to, you know, pay homage to that deceased and, you know, respect them and, 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 and send them off to heaven. But the, the second line is to rejoice because they're going to heaven, you know, and whatever. And so the second line has, has is a rejoicing time. So now it's become a uh, wedding, you know I mean? I, I can't, some weekends, you know, you can see six of them just right there on the corner of Royal and St. Peter. Sometimes they collide at the corners, you know, there's one coming from the left and one coming from the front, you know. Um, so, um, yeah, you can see a lot. There's, there still are lots of jazz funerals. Some people, we do, we do jazz funerals and we do weddings also, you know, um, but it's more expensive now. So that's why you don't see it all the time. And if a musician dies, the band is huge, you know, and it's yes. basically free. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I want you just to say something about a Mardi Gras song, Ico Ico. Tell us what it means. Tell us the origin of Ico so that the next time someone goes to New Orleans and they hear Ico Ico, or hey now, hey now, Ico Ico one day, what are they talking about? Oh, well, the Mardi Gras Indians, uh, and that that's a story in itself where they came from because they pay homage to the Native American Indians that helped them, you know, helped the slaves escape during slavery. But um, they perform out on the street on two uh, times of the year. It's St. Joseph's Day, which is March 19th, my husband's birthday, and Mardi Gras Day. And these guys, they sew their own suits and the suits tell stories of the person that's wearing the suit and, you know, their histories and stuff. And it's all done uh, graphically with beads, little tiny, tiny beads. But these, these, um, these Mardi Gras Indians, they parade on the streets on those two days and they do chants. They, 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 they have their own language and they have their own songs. And um, a lot of the songs you wouldn't know, but... Some of the songs you do, like that, the one you're talking about, uh, Ico, and uh, the Dixie Chicks did it, um, and you know it it, it 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 became famous, you know. Um, but it's a, a Madagascar Indian song, and let's see, Ana, it's like let me hear you sing, Ana, Ana, Ico, Ico, Ande, Jagimofino, Anane, Jagimofina, Ne. Excuse me. Mm -hmm. Let's see, Aina is just like, and I'm not, I'm no historian on this, you know, I, I just think I know, um, I think I remember correctly, but Aina is just like you saying, hey, hey, you know, hey, hey, you, or hey now, you know, uh, Aiko, Aiko, Ande, I think means, uh, here comes my big chief, you know, Jacques Mofino Anane, Jacques Mofino Anane, I think means, get the heck out of the way, but not the heck out of the way, you know. But uh, so it's basically saying, hey, hey, here comes my big chief. Get the heck out of the way. So, right. um, yeah. Somebody who put the whole song up in the chat room. My grandma oh, really? and your grandma was sitting by the fire. My grandma told your grandma, I'm going to set your flag on fire. You're talking about, hey, now. <laughs> it's, in the, it's in the chat room. That's right. Okay. That's right. Yep. Well, this has been a fun show tonight just to have you share with us 
just the culture, the history of New Orleans jazz, and, and what it means to, to all of us when we're thinking about our genealogy. Think about everything else that's going on in the lives of your ancestors. They had music, they had religion, they had family traditions. And so tonight's show was just one of those shows where we talked about jazz and New Orleans and culture and history. And Doreen, I wanna thank you so much for coming on tonight just to share your music with us. Now, I do have another song that you, that you have uh, sung, and I'm going to play that song so that everyone could listen to it. It'll be our closing song. So I just wanna just tell everybody, just remember your ancestors left footprints. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, research at the National Archives, and that includes understanding the music. Now, you can continue this discussion on the research at the National Archives and Beyond and Afrogenius.com Facebook pages. And also, remember to listen to the Africa Roots podcast for Angela Walton Raji on Friday night. Thank you so much for joining research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This show is sponsored by your host, Bernice Beebe's Genealogy Research and Educational Services, LLC. And I look forward to you joining me next Thursday. Now, don't hang up, everyone, because we're going to hear another song. This is your host, Bernice Alexandra Bennett.
Thank you.